I'd like to welcome everybody to Lesson 8 of the Study of Galatians. We're going to finish Chapter 1 today. Praise the Lord, right? So Paul is in the process, really, throughout this whole chapter of establishing his authority. And at the end of the first chapter, uh, throughout this whole chapter, he's going to be doing that. And in the course, he's filling in some details of the blank years of his life. And I imagine that there's some influencers that are disputing Paul's authority within the community in Galatia. Remember, he started with this bold statement, and he's been backing it up ever since. He said in verse 1, he said, Paul, an apostle, sent not from man or by man, but by Yeshua and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so he started the letter stating he wasn't sent by men. He's sent by the Lord himself, and he's continuing to prove that statement. Now, we're going to be focusing on the last few verses today, but let's read from verse 14 to kind of set the stage again. It says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult with any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately to Arabia and later returned to Damascus. And so Paul is telling us, as I mentioned last week, that he was advancing in Judaism, Pharisaic Judaism, beyond those of his own age. And in contrast to that advancement and his zealousness for the traditions of the fathers, that was all being replaced by Messiah in him. He was still a Jew. He was still a Pharisee for the most part, believed in the main tenets of, of Pharisaic Judaism. But the traditions of the fathers were being replaced by the Messiah in him. These traditions of the fathers were actually stricter laws protecting the laws of God. And he no longer accepted these additional laws of the fathers as fact. But his eyes had been opened up by Messiah in him to the truth of God's laws, God's word, and how they differed from those interpretations of the fathers. For Paul, there's nothing more important. If you don't get this out of Paul's letter, you're not going to get anything. Because for Paul, there's nothing more important than Messiah in him. And he in Messiah. Paul uses that phrase, in Messiah, over and over in the book of Galatians, and the book of Romans. And why do you suppose that is? Well, it's more than just he believes in Yeshua. For Paul, his whole identity is wrapped up in his being in Messiah. That's who he is. Remember what he said in Philippians 3, verses 5 and 7. He says, If anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Messiah. He says, of being one of the people of Israel, of being a Hebrew and a Pharisee, that they're rubbish. All loss for the sake of Messiah, knowing Messiah and being in Messiah. You see, that's what really makes what's going on in Galatia so offensive to Paul. The people of Galatia are looking for their identity in the ethnicity of being Jewish 
rather than being what they are, and that is in Messiah. Amen. You know, we're always looking for our identity. Did you know that? We spend our whole life looking for our identity. We spend much of our lives looking for this. How often people have come to me over the years and said, look, now I'm part of this Messianic Jewish congregation, and I know that there's Messianic Jews, but I'm not Jewish, so what do I call myself? You see, the question is, what is my identity? How can I identify myself? You know, our whole movement struggles with this identity crisis. Our, our, as a congregation, are we a Sabbath fellowship, a Messianic congregation, a Messianic synagogue, a Messianic temple, or even a church? What are we? How about I'm Hebrew roots? You see, we struggle to define ourselves, to find identity. And these Galatians are struggling for identity and the influencers are saying, you must be converted, you must be Jewish. It's no different now really than in Paul's day either. You know, there's a move out there right now in the UMJC trying to figure out a way for non-Jews to convert to Messianic Judaism. They're contemplating the very thing that Paul fights against here in Galatia. And then there are the two house people who want to identify themselves with the lost tribes. And in the process, they themselves become lost. That's at least my way of thinking. And the way of Paul's way of thinking. Ethnicity means nothing. In Messiah means everything. You see, Paul had no identity crisis. For Paul, being in Messiah is everything. If someone asks you what you are, the answer for Paul and the one he would suggest for us is I am in Messiah and Messiah is in me. And I'm going to do everything that he would ask of me to do because my life belongs to him. And if I look different, if I act different, it's because I'm in Messiah and I'm trying with all of my heart to emulate His footsteps through life. I'm trying to get to the place where I worship the Father in spirit and in truth as He and the disciples did. That would be the Paul's, that would be the answer Paul would suggest for your life. But these Galatians... They're being fooled. They're looking for salvation in being part of Israel. When in fact, they've accepted the Messiah, they're already as good as it gets because they're in Messiah. Well, we'll come back to this, but I want to get to verse 18 here and read that before I get carried away. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and to stay with him 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that, I, that what I am writing you is no lie. And so he's going to continue his proof of being sent by Yeshua by affirming that he learned the gospel from no man. He didn't even see the disciples. After three years... He went up to Jerusalem and he stayed with Peter for 15 days. Until now, he's not talked to any of the apostles about the good news. So, as I said last week, you can imagine he must have been very reassured to hear that the good news that was given to him by this still small voice within him was the same good news that was given to Peter. And we can see that it was the same if we just look at the book of Acts, chapter 10. 
It must have been wonderful for Paul to hear that Peter had been told the exact same thing that he had been hearing in study, in prayer, and through the Spirit of God. Think about it. If Paul, if you, like Paul, had all of your life, from the time you could understand, been told one thing about God, and then all of a sudden, you start to hear this still small voice, this voice in your spirit, that things were actually totally contrary to what you had learned as a child, and those things that had been confirmed to you by the greatest minds in Judaism. Remember, Paul studied under Gamaliel, the first one to be called Rabban. It would shock you. It would make you question what you were hearing. Wouldn't it? With me. So a little confirmation would be nice, wouldn't it? Peter would have undoubtedly told his story to, to uh, Paul. He, we find in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter began to speak. I now realize how it is, how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him. And do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling them the good news of peace through Messiah Yeshua who is Lord of all. God showed Peter that he accepted all men who fear him. And if we look at the, uh, at the verse, we find that Cornelius was a God-fearer. In other words... A Gentile who feared God. We all know what that means. He worshipped among the Jewish people, although he had not yet gone through this conversion process. He had not vowed to live as a Jew. He had not yet been circumcised and immersed. In other words, he's in the same boat as the people that Paul is addressing in Galatia. God-fearer. Cornelius was not part of the nation of Israel. He was a Roman centurion. And here, God tells Peter that he accepts God-fearers, all men who fear him and do what is right. What does he mean by do what is right? Well, he told us in verse 1 of Acts chapter 10. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who feared God with all of his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. And so he accepts men who fear him, who revere him, who pray to him, who seek relationship with God and care for their neighbors. In other words, who love the Lord their God with all their heart and their neighbor as themselves. And next Peter gives these God-fearers the good news. But let's skip past that good news down to verse 44 and, and see the result. While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on these Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being immersed with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be immersed in the name of Yeshua Then they asked Peter to stay with him for a few days. These circumcised followers of Yeshua, maybe Jewish, maybe proselytes, were astonished that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on these unclean, uncircumcised Gentiles. They were astonished because that had never happened before. This was unheard of. 
Up until now, only Jewish people had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. But not just that. Look at Peter's response. And remember, what was our conversion process? What was the conversion process? Remember what it was said? If a non-Jew was circumcised, went through the waters of immersion, when he came out, he was born again, this time a son of Abraham. Peter is finishing the process of their being accepted into the people of God. He's saying, can anyone keep these people from being born again and made sons of Abraham? So let's go immerse them. Well, in the same way, Paul calls the uncircumcised Gentile sons of Abraham. Listen to what he says in chapter 3, verse 7. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. You see, Yeshua in Paul has revealed to him the same thing he revealed to Peter. That we're not made sons of Abraham through any conversion process of the fathers of Judaism, but we are made sons by faith in the Messiah, Yeshua. Now think about it. Think about poor Paul here. A Hebrew of Hebrews. A Pharisee. Zealous for the traditions of his fathers. And he's on the road to Damascus and Yeshua confronts him. And he comes to know Yeshua as Messiah. Wonderful, right? However, now he goes away consulting with no man and Yeshua begins to show him some things in Scripture. This still small voice within him begins to show him something about the life of Abraham. The Spirit shows him as he studies that Abraham had no written Torah to follow. The rabbis love to light on this verse in Genesis where it says this in chapter 26. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me, kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. And the word for laws there is Torah. And so they like to light on this and say, see, Abraham had the Torah. The Torah that was given in Mount Sinai. Nothing could be further from the truth. The word there for laws is Torah, but it's in the plural. Is there more than one Torah? More than one law given at Sinai? Of course not. So in this case, it just means instructions or teachings, because that's what Torah means, instruction or teachings. He didn't have the Torah given at Sinai. He had a relationship with God and followed his instructions and his teachings that he heard within him. Abraham had no traditions of the fathers. He left his father behind and he left the former land behind. As an example, we looked at one of the traditions of the fathers. Abraham uh, uh, eating meat and milk together. Abraham had no tradition of the fathers about eating meat and milk together. In fact, when the angels came to him, he served them meat and milk together. No full Torah, no traditions of the fathers, and yet God called him his friend because Abraham obeyed him, kept his requirements, his commands, his decrees, and his instructions. And how did he get those teachings? The same way Paul is receiving the gospel. Abraham had relationship with God, and now Paul too has this still small voice within him. He has something he's never had before. He has a relationship with Yeshua. Because as we read earlier, God was pleased to reveal His Son in Him. 
And as he continued to study, just think, he came to the Mount Sinai passage, which he'd read hundreds of times before, and he reads, Now if you hear my voice and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And he realizes, you know, God never wanted a mediator like Moses or Joshua or the rabbis between Israel and himself. He didn't want Israel following men and the interpretations of men about his word. He wanted Israel to have the same relationship he had with Abraham. He wanted relationship with all of his people. He didn't want a list of rules, but he wanted relationship with his people. He wanted to be the voice within them. And if he had that kind of relationship with people, then indeed they would be a treasured possession. Indeed they would be a kingdom of priests. And certainly a holy nation, because there's no other nation that listens to the voice of God. And he comes to the realization that the still small voice within him begins to show him that because Israel said this to Moses in chapter 20 of Exodus, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance and said, Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but do not have God speak to us or we'll die. He realizes Israel never had the relationship. And Paul must have thought, how sad. And yet at the same time, he was overjoyed because he now had what his forefathers turned down. What God had always intended for the people of Israel. He has a relationship with God. However, now through that relationship, he begins to realize what God told Peter, that ethnicity has nothing to do with this relationship with God. Like Peter, he sees uncircumcised Gentiles coming to a knowledge of Yeshua, and because of that, the Spirit of God being poured out on them. A spirit of holiness on uncircumcised Gentiles. How could this be? It goes against everything I've always learned. Think of a radical change this would have been for a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, that much of what he had learned and much of the traditions of the fathers were nothing more than nonsense. That God accepts men from every nation who fear Him and do what is right without becoming Jews. To what can we liken it? Well, we can liken it in a small measure. We can liken it to the realization you had when you found out that God never changed the Sabbath. That God did not replace Israel with a church, but that God is going to restore His people And He will pour out His Spirit on them again as He has with us. And we're going to be one new man, one people, God's people, one people worshiping the God of Abraham. And you came to that realization and you thought, oh, how am I ever going to, what am I ever going to do with this? Your friends reject you. Your family thinks you've gone off the deep end. And somewhere inside, you're still unsure. You think, maybe I have gone off the deep end. Right? And then you find Kehilat Sar Shalom and other people who God has revealed the same things to and you realize, hey, it wasn't the pizza I ate. It wasn't indigestion. It was God telling me this. Right? Well, I think that that had to be kind of what it was for Paul as he heard Peter recount this story to him. It was 
a confirmation for what God had showed him. You know, I had a relationship from, with God from the very first day I gave up this life for life with Him. But when He showed me the hard things, I needed confirmation. When He said, I want you to go preach John 4, 23, I said, really? I can't preach. Can I get an amen out of that? <laughs> and I asked for confirmation and I got it. Well, I see this meeting with Peter as that very thing. Confirmation for Paul. What he's hearing from Yeshua within him and his study is so radical that it's barely believable. Really, Lord? Really? It's not ethnicity. It's not being Jewish. It's not being part of this nation of Israel, so to speak. But it's our identity in Messiah that is the real thing and everything else is just vapor. You see, if you want to really sum up Paul's theology, it would be nothing else matters but being in Messiah. That's it. Listen to how he closes this chapter. Verse 21 through 24. Later I went to Syria and Caesarea and I was personally unknown to the congregations of Judea that are in Messiah. They only heard the report that man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they praised God because of me. As I said earlier, this being in Messiah is all that really matters to Paul. He didn't find his identity in being a Hebrew. He told us that was rubbish. He didn't find his identity in being a Pharisee or being legalistically faultless. He told us too that was rubbish. He didn't find his identity in being part of the tribe or being one of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, even that was rubbish. No, for him, he found his identity in being in Messiah. I'm in Messiah and nothing else in life matters. Let's jump ahead in Galatians. Listen to how he uses this phrase. Let's jump ahead in Galatians to chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says, This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Messiah Yeshua and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain within you. He says, we have freedom from slavery. We're no longer slaves to the traditions of men. We no longer have a mediator between us and God. The one that they themselves asked for at Sinai. And of that mediator, Yeshua told us this, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. You see, what he's saying is that he's reduced the people to slavery. Those mediators have put the people in bondage, and now Messiah, we have freedom from those things. We are in Messiah. We have relationship with God. We have found freedom in our direct relationship with Messiah Yeshua. Listen to what he says a little later in chapter 2. So we too have put our faith in Messiah Yeshua, that we may be justified by faith in Messiah Yeshua and not by observing the law, because by observing the law no one will be justified. It's evident if we seek to be justified in Messiah, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. That does not mean that Messiah promotes sin. Absolutely not. You see, 
This is huge for the book of Galatians, these verses right here. We're justified by our faith in Messiah Yeshua and not by becoming Jewish. And not just that, if we seek to be justified after being justified in Messiah, before God, by any other method, if we put our identity in something else than being in Messiah Yeshua, like becoming Jewish, if we seek through changing our identity to become justified, we become sinners. We miss the mark. We've transgressed God's Torah. He says this in chapter 3. You are all sons of God through faith in Messiah Yeshua. For all of you who were baptized have been clothed, have clothed yourself with Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Messiah Yeshua. If you belong to Messiah, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In Messiah, we are not only Ben Avraham, sons of Avraham, we are also Ben Elohim, sons of God. And not only that, we're all one in Messiah. Circumcision, uncircumcision, doesn't matter, because we're one new man in Messiah Yeshua. Let me let you in on one of the a real truth of the Word of God, in case you didn't know this. There are no special people. There's only one people in Messiah Yeshua. What makes you special is being in Messiah. Do we have responsibility in Messiah? Well, he gets to that in his next statement in chapter 5 about being in Messiah. He says, For in Messiah there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that matters is faith in Messiah Yeshua and the expression of that, which is love of your neighbor and love of God. What did Peter say in Acts chapter 10? Remember I read it? I tried to point it out. Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and then the key and do what is right. We have a responsibility to do what is right, to care for each other because we are one in Messiah Yeshua. And if we look back to our study in Romans, think back to the study of Romans for a minute. When Paul outlines the good news in detail, he uses the phrase in Messiah 11 times. Here are just a few things that he said about it in Romans. Remember in Romans chapter 6, we're dead to sin. In Messiah Yeshua. Or we could say we're dead to transgressing Torah because that's what sin is. In Messiah Yeshua. He tells us in Messiah, we should no longer sin. Oh, that's the same thing Yeshua told John. Listen to what John says. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But if... But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And no one who continues to sin has either seen or known him. No one who lives in Messiah keeps on sinning and no one who keeps on sinning has even known him. That's an amazing statement. Being in Messiah Yeshua has responsibilities. Then in Romans 6, Paul tells us we have eternal life in Messiah Yeshua. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. I've read the Torah many times. The Torah does not promise anybody eternal life. There's no promise of eternal life. For the Jewish people in the Torah, 
for being Jewish, for keeping the law. The only promise of eternal life are to those who are in Messiah Yeshua. So nothing else matters. Everything else is merely vapor. It's going to vanish. It's going away. It's passing away. The only thing that matters is being in Messiah Yeshua because that's eternal. In Romans 8, we find that those who are in Messiah, there's no condemnation for those who are in Messiah when the final judgment comes. There will be no condemnation because they're going to have an advocate. And when their transgressions of the law that they committed throughout their life are read, the advocate is going to stand and say, Master of the universe, I know he transgressed, but I paid that debt. And so, Master, will you release him into my custody? Also in chapter 8, we find that nothing can separate us from the love of God if we're in Messiah. You don't have to walk around in fear and condemnation because Messiah has begun a work in you and He will not fail to complete that work. You may fail, but He's not going to fail. Nothing can separate you from the love of Messiah. You are His bride. And then finally in Romans chapter 12, He tells us, in Messiah we form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. And in Messiah we have gifts. Differing according to the grace of God given us. What I want you to see in this lesson is that for Paul, being in Messiah is all in all. Nothing else matters. We find Messiah. We find justification for our sins. There is nothing and no one to condemn us for we are sons of God in Messiah. No one to condemn us in Messiah. And so in Messiah we find eternal life. So let me ask you something. What else?